Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of the podcast is presented by the good folks over at Razu. Razu is a brand new networking and collaborating service for artists in the music industry providing music creators the collaborative tools to create and enhance songs virtually. They give music creators the freedom to create music with artists across the world, eliminating the boundaries that artists face when creating their music. If you want to find out more about Razu, head to razu.io or click the link in our show notes. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. On the program today... Russia is a ruse. I have nothing to do with Russia. Thank you, President Trump. Couldn't have said it better myself there, Nick. Uh, Nick and I will examine what happened over this past weekend in Russia, a coup that almost was, Nick, as Alex Clement of G-Zero Media. He's the editor of G-Zero Media Daily Newsletter. You can check it out g0media.com. He's going to join us in just a bit. To break this all down, no one better to help us actually explain all this. He's got a great article too out over on g0media.com that you can read about all of this, what happened over the weekend. If you're confused about everything that played out in Russia with this Wagner military group and what they were doing, advancing on Moscow, Alex is going to break it down in just a bit. And then in our final segment, a new segment, Nick, we're unveiling on the show. Can we please comment? That's right, folks. Nick and I will read the comment section from our TikTok and Instagram pages. You're going to get our reactions in real time. Nick has not seen these comments. He does not know what they uh, what they consist of. And if you don't follow our show over on Instagram and TikTok, please do me a favor right now. Go over to TikTok, IG, Can We Please Talk podcast on Twitter at Can We Please Talk. Leave out the E 
on. Please get ready for some fireworks in that last segment. Uh, before I turn to Mr. Zavaria, a uh, quick housekeeping notes. First off, another episode of the Educate Us podcast is out now. You can go get that podcast wherever you listen to pods or check it out over at leonmedianetwork.com. This week, Nick, Stacy, and Patrice are joined by Akil Bello to talk about student assessment and testing. Just a great listen. So go check out that episode again, wherever you get your pods. And a shout out for a super fan on TikTok. Um, I saw this company or a person, maybe the handle is called Super Broker, S-U-P-A-B-R-O-K-E-R. It's a real estate agent that lives out in Georgia. Uh, go follow her on TikTok because the reason I'm shouting her out, she's doing fantastic work in the Atlanta community. They posted a video about Sunday morning where they went to a local Target, bought you know hygiene stuff, soaps, um, you know deodorants, toothbrushes, toothpaste. They went and got food and then delivered it to a bunch of homeless people in the Atlanta you know area. Um, they posted this video. There was about maybe three four hundred people that that came from the area that are homeless. They were able to give these supplies out too. I mentioned I would shout them out on the show, and we're gonna figure out ways to help contribute to what it is that they're doing to help the homelessness that's happening in Atlanta, Georgia. So shout out to super broker, go follow her over on TikTok and the great work that they're doing over there. Uh, Nick, we're going to get into all this Russia stuff. Um, but for you, how you been and, and what'd you make of this weekend watching the news as everything broke about a potential coup taking place uh, to our, our neighbors eh, 5,000 miles east. What would you make of what played out in Russia and how it fizzled so quickly before we get to Alex? Yeah, I mean, I think it was interesting, and I want to get Alex's opinion on this too, but it was interesting how much we took at face value from the reporting. Um, there were so many outlets, and obviously I'm talking about this from the lens of, of being on Twitter, which can be a pretty problematic space these days because uh, whether you like it or not, it's basically Elon's playground for you know better or worse. And so a lot of just back and forth coming out about what's going on. I tried to follow, obviously, the most trusted sources. And as you were saying, Mike, you know, over the span of 24 hours, we go from what seems to be a legitimate threat to the Russian army from internally or to the Russian government, more specifically, to then silence. You know, at last mark, 150 miles close to Moscow, you know, the Wagner group simply stopped. An agreement was made, and now the head of the that organization is now chilling in Belarus. <laughs> um, and there's just all kinds of questions that I have here. That's why I'm excited about our conversation today, because as I was saying at the top, it was really interesting to see the jokes and the comments and everything coming out. And this includes every from everyone from Adam Kinzinger, you know, now you know former uh, representative, um, to people all over the space that were trying to make heads and tails of what's going on. And what was just funny to me is I had yet to hear someone or very rarely even make comment of like, can we all pause on this? Because all the information coming in, is there any reliable source? I mean, I spent a lot of times on a lot of the time over the weekend you know, at Reuters where I do trust the source. We have you know great people there that you know we collaborate with, like Idris Ali, obviously. And so I was just trying to make heads and tails of it. But yeah, it just was stunning over the span of 24 hours. What seemed like a legitimate threat just fizzled out. And as you had said, 
Um, and that's where I sort of landed on it. But where, what about you though? Like as you were consuming it and you and I were obviously texting back and forth, you know, what was coming up for you as you were hearing the news? You know, it's so interesting because literally a, an hour before we started taping, I was watching something about, you mentioned the Wagner uh, uh, chief there of the, of the military group, and it's a private military group. We're going to get into all of that with Alex in just a second. But Jim Shudo, who over at CNN, their national security correspondent, was saying the State Department, the U.S. State Department has no idea the location of the Wagner chief. They have no idea where he is. You mentioned that he was in Belarus. And the latest reporting is like no one knows where this guy is, at least according to the U.S. State Department. So there's so much to get into from the story. But I just thought it was it was interesting how network news coverage started to shift to what was playing out in Russia. And then, like I said, drop of a hat next day, this guy, a peace agreement or whatever it was, was brokered between the Belarus president Putin and the Wagner chief. And it's just like. Just like that, wait a minute, they went and took two cities with over a million residents in a span of 24 hours without shooting one bullet. And then all of a sudden they just gave up their positions. And then there's conflicting reports about how many actual troops they have. They, uh, The Wagner chief was saying he has 25,000 troops ready to go. There are reports saying he doesn't have anywhere near that. So we're going to get into all of that with Alex. And speaking of the devil, he's a correspondent over at G Zero Media. You can read also the G Zero Media Daily, the newsletter that he does that I get all my information from, which is why I reached out to him in real time. I texted him two days ago. I said, you need to come on the show and explain everything that happened uh, in Russia, this coup d'etat that never happened. And that's Alex Clement. Alex, Mike and Nick, thank you so much for hopping back on the podcast with us. Great to be with you guys again, as always. Yeah. Alex, you know, I, I want to start just at, at a high level because I know for me, I want to speak in actualities here. When I saw this break, I, I understood that there were private military groups that Russia employed, mm -hmm. but I didn't know to like what degree or like, I don't know, you know, the troop capabilities of some of these uh, private military groups. And then I, I start hearing more of the news about this group marching to Moscow, a couple cities that they took along the way, no bullets fired at all. And then all of a sudden within 24 hours, this all fizzles out. Can you give our audience, a 30,000 foot overview of what happened last weekend and the particulars around it and, and why it made news and then all of a sudden came and went without like any guns drawn, bullets fired. What What's the latest? Yeah, I mean, in fairness, even for those of us who have followed Russia for a long, long time, uh, there were a lot of ups and downs and surprises uh, last weekend. So let, let me just start with, with the biggest picture, as you say. Um, Yevgeny Prigozhin, is a guy in Russia who is a ex-convict who built a catering business uh, that uh, was uh, Vladimir Putin's preferred catering business in St. Petersburg. Uh, he built that and parlayed it into a large kind of um, state contracting company of all sorts uh, over the years, which ended up moving into the military contracting sphere and ultimately creating his own private army called Wagner Group or Wagner Group. Um, the purpose of Wagner Group uh, was a couple of different things. Um, one was to send mercenaries to countries in Africa and the Middle East, Syria in particular, to help the, gov the Russian government solve problems that were hard for it to solve using the conventional military or conventional police or conventional spies, right? So Vladimir Putin basically aids this guy 
Yevgeny Prigozhin in creating a private military company that is basically uh, dictator services unlimited for whoever, whatever client states the Russians are working with. And they send a lot of guys to Africa to help various dictators uh, spy on their opponents and, uh, and, um, and, and, and wage wars and keep security in exchange for which the Russians get access to all the minerals and, uh, and, uh, and natural resources in these countries. In Syria, Wagner Group was very useful to the Russians um, in a way that the military wasn't because a private military company gives you certain advantages, right? It's plausible deniability if things go wrong, but it's a lot of flexibility if things go right. So Putin really started to use this guy for a lot of stuff. In, two, in 2016, when he wanted to meddle in the US election, who was the guy he called up and said, hey, could you please start a troll farm that would go meddle in the US election? Yevgeny Prigozhin says, yes, sir, I'm on it. I'll do it. So this guy, Yevgeny Prigozhin, who, who I'm going to get to about what he did last weekend, kind of emerged over the past 10 years as a very shady kind of Mr. Fix-It for Vladimir Putin. He has this large private army that does stuff in Africa, does stuff in Syria. And when the Ukraine war started, actually the first time it started in 2014, Vladimir Putin called him up again and said, hey, we would like a little extra help uh, in eastern Ukraine fighting this war. Uh, so in 2014, they start operating a little bit in eastern Ukraine, but it really takes off after last year when this guy, Yevgeny Prigozhin, basically leads an army of 25,000 guys in eastern Ukraine, uh, which into some of the most brutal fights that we've seen over the last year um, and ends up doing pretty well. Uh, and so over time, what happens is this guy starts to get a little bit you know, a little bit heady, right? He starts to think, well, I've, you know, I've got a lot of juice with, with the Kremlin. I've got a lot of juice with the Ministry of Defense. These guys, you know, the war is going badly, but we're doing well. So he starts to get into an, an ongoing argument and criticism of the Ministry of Defense itself, right? So he starts criticizing the actual Russian army saying, these guys are a bunch of scumbags and the, the, the generals who control the army, by the way, not the actual soldiers themselves. He starts saying, look, these guys who are running this army, you wanna know why we're doing so badly in Ukraine? It's because these guys in the Ministry of Defense are a bunch of corrupt, elitist, aloof scumbags who are more interested in lining their pockets than in prosecuting this war properly, right? So Vladimir Putin's looking at this and says, okay, this is my guy, my Mr. Fix-It, and he is like openly beefing with my minister of defense, criticizing him, saying he's an idiot, saying he's stupid. Putin lets this go on for a little for a little while. Uh, but finally, it gets to be too much. And so Putin says, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm going to have to subordinate Wagner Group to the actual army because I can't have this clashing going on anymore. And that, in my view, is the proximate cause of what happened last weekend when Prigozhin realizes he's about to lose this autonomy that he's had running around being a warlord in the east of east of Ukraine um, and decides to make a big show of force to prevent, to basically convince Putin that he shouldn't, you know, shouldn't have to be subordinated to these scumbag clowns in the Ministry of Defense and that he's really his own man. He's got he's got his own juice. So what he does is he takes his 25,000 guys who have just been rotated off the front line in Ukraine and he leads them on what he calls a march of justice to Moscow. And along that march to justice, his guys end up taking without a shot uh, a, a, a large city in southern Russia called Rostov-on-Don, 
which is right across the border from Ukraine. It's the major logistical hub for all of Russia's war in Ukraine. He takes that city without a shot fired and starts moving north towards Moscow, which is about 600 miles away, takes another large city called Voronezh. Maybe your listeners will know it, maybe they won't, but it's a, it's a city of a million people halfway to Moscow and then keeps going. And what happens, and it looks like this is an armed insurrection. Is this a coup? Is it a mutiny? Is it an insurrection? I would say it's a mutiny rather than a coup because he, he he wasn't actually, what he said, what he was trying to do is he wasn't trying to overthrow Putin. He was basically trying to scare Putin into um, either changing out the Minister of Defense or letting Wagner Group continue to operate on its own. So this looks like it's getting really, really bad on Friday afternoon, Saturday afternoon. And then all of a sudden it stops. And it sounds like there's a deal that's been reached. Um, and Prigozhin says, I am ready to turn around and, and take my guys back to their barracks because I don't want to spill any Russian blood. If this goes on any further, there's going to be a real bloodbath. So there's this weird thing where he takes his guys home. The deal that the Kremlin says was reached is, OK, we're not going to prosecute you for, for treason, but we are going to insist that you leave the country with your guys and go off to Belarus. We're going to be put out to pasture in Belarus, right? country next to Russia, close relations, basically a client state of the Russians. Um, and this kind of leaves everybody thinking who won, who lost, why did this happen? And uh, and where we are over the past day is that a lot of um, the Wagner troops who per participated in the um, in the in the rebellion have got have gone back to their barracks. Putin came out today and said, this guy is still a traitor, but you Wagner guys, you're welcome to join the regular army or go home or go to Belarus. And everyone's kind of wondering what's the next shoe to drop. This has been the most significant challenge to Vladimir Putin's power in the history of his time as president, which is a long history, as you probably know, more than 20 years. Um, and it's sort of unprecedented for a warlord to lead, you know, several thousand guys <laughs> uh, towards Moscow, if not directly to threaten uh, the Kremlin or threaten the president, at least to try to force him to make a decision about how he runs his army. Um, and now we're kind of left wondering, you know, who won, who lost? Is this the beginning of the end for Putin? Is Prigozhin going to be killed in the next couple of days? These are all the questions that are that are floating around. But the basic story is a Mr. Fixit who Vladimir Putin created 10 years ago uh, got uh, more powerful than he thought he would and ended up turning on the government and turning on Putin in a lot of ways. Alex, as we're talking before, and first off, to our listeners, you're not going to get that story the way it was just told, which essentially sounds like the plot to a Metal Gear game as well as Alex just presented. <laughs> so first and foremost, shout out to him and to shout out to Hideo Kojima. It's Metal anyway. Gear crossed with the Godfather. It's, it's it just wild. We're, a baker. Yeah. <laughs> patty cake, patty cake, baker's man indeed. Yeah. Alex, though, as we're talking about private military companies, what is the history with Putin with in terms of, because I this was new to me about a PMC being yeah. just, you know, widely used. Um, and partnering you know, with the Russian military, I mean, though it makes sense. But what is the relationship that Russia has with PMCs? Is this a prevalent tactic that they have, or is Wagner really what stands out in terms of the way private organizations, private military organizations work with the Russian government? It's a really good question. The, the Wagner Group, uh, which is part of a larger thing called Concord Group, um, all of these names are so like dystopian and Orwellian, but um, in any event, it, it's by far the largest private military company and the largest sort of purveyor of 
you know, dictator plus services to the Russian government and, and, and its client states. Um, but the phenomenon of Vladimir Putin relying on kind of extra sort of paramilitary organizations or organizations that fall outside of the conventional security apparatus in Russia uh, is not new. The other big example of it is um in Chechnya, which is a Republic of Russia, which uh, which waged several unsuccessful wars for independence in the 1990s, which were ultimately crushed by uh, Vladimir Putin, who then installed um, a uh, a uh, or I would say co-opted a local warlord named Ramzan Kadyrov to basically run the place and keep it quiet uh, on behalf of the Kremlin in exchange for which Ramzan Kadyrov, leader of Chechnya, basically gets his own basically private army of 10,000 guys, which he also has used on behalf of Russia in Ukraine. So when we talk to, to, to so the, the answer to your question is, there are not a huge number of large private military companies like Wagner Group. Wagner Group is by far the largest uh, in terms of the kinds of things that it does and the numbers of men under arms. But the phenomenon of Vladimir Putin using structures that fall outside of the army and security services is not is not new. And you know, in Ukraine, that became doubly important for him uh, when it became clear very early on that the conventional army was not doing a great job, right? The, the, the army was supposed to take Kiev in three or four days. And the idea was that local turncoats all across Ukraine would fold within 72 hours and basically make de cut deals with the Russian government in order to avoid avoid bloodshed. That was obviously completely, totally wrong. Here we are a year later, the Ukrainians are still fighting their asses off. Um, but it very quickly became a problem because the Russian army didn't really have the the tactical or logistical capabilities to prosecute this war effectively. So Putin, again, calls up his private military guys say, listen, can you give me a hand in some of these key battles? And they sent them into maybe maybe you and your listeners followed a little bit of the um, there was a battle for a strategic city in eastern Ukraine called Bakhmut, which went on for several months. It was an absolutely horrific, um, you know, uh, a horrific meat grinder of a battle. Wagner Group was the, were the guys who were in the, the heart of that fight and ended up winning this tremendously pyrrhic, but, you know, but victory to, to conquer Bakhmut. And that's when this guy Prigozhin really started to get annoyed with, with, with the Russian army itself, um, because he relies on them for a lot of his supply lines and Russian army supply lines and logistics in this war in particular are famously horrible. So he's out there, his guys are getting slaughtered by the dozens. Um, his guys are not great guys, by the way, I'll tell you a little bit more about who they are in a second, but his guys are getting slaughtered by the hundreds, uh, uh, thousands even. Um, and he starts to accused the Russian army of deliberately cutting him off from supplies because they realize that his guys are fighting better than their guys are and they want to clip his wings. That's how this whole thing really starts until it escalates into this bigger, this bigger, um, this bigger confrontation. Alex, earlier today, CNN is reporting that, you know, trying to get a sense of um, Prigozhin's whereabouts you know, has been tricky. The State Department can't locate him. From where you stay in terms of coverage and such, what seems most likely is there and you mentioned before that Belarus has a very close relationship with Russia. Is this a situation where Putin is potentially almost putting a essentially a glass jar around Prigozhin to be able to to monitor his actions? Or is this truly an independent effort by Prigozhin to to avoid um, to basically just keep safe distance from Putin for three for fear of what seems to happen to a lot of um, dissenters or those who go against the Russian uh, the Russian government? 
Yeah, I mean, wherever Prigozhin goes, I suspect he'll be looking for a ground floor apartment. Uh, <laughs> we can definitely, definitely <laughs> say that. But but um, look, nobody knows where Prigozhin is right now. Um, the uh, There's no evidence that he's actually in Belarus. Uh, I would guess that he's somewhere in southern Russia near this city, Rostov, or he's back in eastern Ukraine, uh, where a lot of his guys um, have gone. The question of what P Putin does with Prigozhin is a really is a really big and important one. I mean... You know, it, 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 to allow a guy to make a challenge like that to, you know, basically a dictator. I mean, this is, you know, every strongman's worst nightmare is that the aura of invincibility suddenly starts to evaporate, right? The emperor suddenly has no clothes. And there's no faster way for a guy like Putin to be shown to have no clothes than a private military contractor leads 10,000 guys towards Moscow and, and makes him blink, right? So there's a big question about what he does with Prigozhin. On the other side of it, though, and this is an interesting question, is why did Prigozhin think he could get away with this? And why didn't Putin just kill him straight off the bat? Why didn't he, you know, attack that column of guys on, on, on Saturday morning when it was moving towards Moscow? And I think there's two reasons why Prigozhin calculated that he had enough juice to at least survive this initial challenge to the Kremlin. And one is, He's got a lot of guys under arms, right? He's commanding 25,000 battle-hardened guys. And I actually, I promised you I would tell you a little more about them. These guys are completely nuts. I mean, these guys are like mercenaries. A lot of them are from the prisons. Um, they're, the deal was you can get out of prison early if you agree to join this, you know, crazy, crazy militia, paramilitary group. A ton of white supremacists and neo-Nazis in the group. I mean, really sick guys. Like what they they they're one of their favorite um routines is to capture uh people who they think of as uh traitors to Russia and smash their heads open against uh cement blocks with with sledgehammers on video. I mean, these guys are practically the ISIS of Russia, right? So let there be no illusion that just because Prigozhin was was challenging Putin that he's somehow you know a great uh, a great liberal reformer who wants to uh, you know wants the doves to cry and have good relations with the West. If anything, Prigozhin is angry because Putin is not prosecuting the war uh, severely enough. But anyway, back to to the reasons why he 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 has power. Uh, one is that he has all these guys under arms, and twenty five thousand guys, reasonably heavily armed, uh, is, is not nothing. Um, and second. His politics are uh, appealing to a lot of people. And what his politics are is he's kind of set himself up as this populist, nationalist man of the, you know, forgotten military grunt, right? He speaks on behalf of all of us guys in the trenches, fighting for Mother Russia, giving our blood, giving our lives, you know, doing all this stuff while these corrupt scumbags in Moscow are mismanaging the whole thing, trying to cut us off and squandering the greatest army in the world, which is the Russian army and its helpers in Wagner Group. That's a message that appeals a lot to two groups that Putin does not want to have a problem with. One is lower and mid-ranking guys, rank and file guys in the security services and the army. You can bet that there are a lot of people who feel exactly the way uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin feels when he says that stuff because they're eating shit in the trenches. They don't have enough bullets. They don't have enough artillery. The, the logistics are terrible. Their commanders are all drunk. They're stealing all the cars. Like it's not going well. So if you're a guy who's like there fighting, you know, 
this this war, this invasion that like, you know, you're fighting against this tremendous resistance. You don't know why the hell you're there. Everyone is an idiot. It's going terribly. You're receptive to the idea that this guy's, you know, telling your dickhead boss that he's screwing your screwing your life up, right? By doing this, right? That's a message we can all relate to, right? So Prigozhin has a lot of like support and his, his message resonates with those people. It also resonates with Putin's biggest critics in Russia who are not, again, like Western funded NGO civil society types. Those people are all dead or in exile. The people that Putin is worried about in Russia are the people who are even more hardcore than he is. The ultra hardcore nationalists who are like, why aren't we nuking Ukraine already? Why aren't we just completely le you know, leveling Kiev with cruise missiles and just destroying these people? Like those are the people that Putin is really worried about. And those are the people that Prigozhin is a hero to. So he has to be really careful what he does with this guy. If he kills him, he creates a martyr for, for, the, for, the, for absolutely the wrong crowd that he doesn't want to have a problem with. In my best Mickey Rourke Iron Man 2 voice, Yevgeny Prigozhin. I just love <laughs> hearing Alex say some of these Russian names. Let's get to a boring name, though, first, Alex. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken yes. said something recently on CNN State of the Union that I wanted to play for you and get your reaction on the other side, because you talked a little bit about Putin maybe losing his grip here. Mm. And I want you to hear what the Secretary of State said. We'll get reaction on the other side. Take a listen to this. This is a moving picture, and we haven't seen the last act yet. But we can say this. Uh, first of all, what we've seen is extraordinary, and I think you've seen cracks uh, emerge that, that weren't there before. Uh, first, in having uh, Prigozhin raise front and center, uh, questioning the very premises of the Russian aggression against Ukraine to begin with. Uh, the, the, the argument that somehow Ukraine or NATO posed a threat to Russia, and a direct challenge to Putin himself. Uh, so think about it this way. Um, Sixteen months ago, uh, Russian forces were on the doorstep of, uh, of Kyiv, Ukraine, thinking they were going to take the city in a matter of days, erase the country from the map. <laughs> now uh, they had to be focused on defending Moscow, Russia's capital. So... You hear that, and we've talked about, and now there's this existential question, excuse me, of Putin's reign, right? You just mentioned some of the crazies that he's trying to talk off the ledge. You can't do anything with Yevgeny in terms of killing him, right, and making him a martyr. What do you make of not only what Anthony Blinken said there, but Putin's reign, the first challenge of this kind in the decades plus that he's been in power, like, what are we to make of that as a Western nation watching this unfold? Well, uh, two things. One, um, it is certainly the biggest challenge that Putin has has faced. Um, and, you know, as I was saying earlier, the key for being a strong man is that people have to believe that you are uh, that you cannot be challenged. Right. The second you open that box, you open that space which says, hey, maybe this guy is slipping a little bit that can metastasize very quickly, right? Because so much of the strong man's power is basically an illusion of invincibility, right? So that I think has been a little bit shaken with um with uh with 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 Putin. Um you know from the perspective of an of an, of an outsider, first of all, I I I sort of disagree with with the um with with the character I mean Blinken sort of characterized Prigozhin as a guy who, you know, 
criticize the, the you know the 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 reason for the invasion and made it sound like Prigozhin is some kind of peacenik, which he's certainly he's certainly not. His comments about the the cause for the invasion are taking a little out of context. His view is basically that it was right to bring the Ukrainians to heel, but that uh, Putin. Uh, guided by his idiot advisors, did went about it in the wrong way, used the wrong pretext, empowered the wrong people, and basically made a hash of the whole thing. So it's important to to be clear that that, that Prigozhin is not a guy who wants to end the war in Ukraine. Uh, he he would probably like to wipe Ukraine off the map sooner rather than later. Um, the second thing about uh, how the West views this, you know, when all this was going on on Saturday, there was a lot of people sort of... Um, you know, openly rooting for the idea of a civil war in Russia, which uh, given how, um, you know, some of the horrible things that Vladimir Putin has done is sort of appealing, right? You'd like to see the, you'd like to see the back of this guy. You'd like to see him end up the way Gaddafi did. The problem with that is that you've got to be really careful if you turn, if you, if, if you allow or watch Russia to turn into a basket case, right? This is not a country that you want to be in a state of prolonged instability or uncertainty about who's actually controlling things. Uh, this is the largest country by landmass in the world, borders with China, has the largest nuclear arsenal in the world, biological weapons, chemical weapons, you name it. <laughs> this is not a country that you want to be a basket case. So I think, you know, uh, I think the U.S. obviously played this well. They said, hey, this is an internal affair for the Russians to sort out. Certainly didn't seem to be pushing it in one, day, one way or the other that we know of. But I just think that's worth restating, like, and, and being really clear about that. It might be good to see the end of Vladimir Putin one day, but, um, you know, in a country where a guy like Yevgeny Prigozhin seems like the only person who has a chance of challenging him, slash you might fall into some horrible civil war, it's not not a great outcome. Alex, before I get to my question, it's funny because I draw a parallel to what you just said with um, the death of Saddam Hussein and what we think about with the onset of ISIS in, in the Middle East. And it's an interesting parallel there about like, you know, the devil, you know, right, versus what yeah. you don't. Um, when you think we've been talking a lot about just reporting like what you're experiencing obviously we trust you greatly and we ask our we want our you know listeners to do the same what's been in your assessment about the information and coverage that's been coming out over the weekend obviously we're all getting it from different places i just basically continue to follow just a lot of trusted folks on twitter but it was interesting to see how many people would put out statements and people just ate it up like there was very little time where people would say you sure about this like i could count maybe on one finger the number of times I saw a, a particular person say, well, let's let's pump the brakes because this is a part of the world where and Alex, to your credit, when you first came on this show, you brought that up, that with the lack of independent media in Russia, you have to be very wary about the information coming out. So in your estimation, what's been reported fairly, what's perhaps been reported egregiously or just incorrectly or, or overemphasized to a point that we need to really put that under a microscope further? Well, look, it's not just that there's no independent reporting uh, or very little independent uh, reporting left in, in Russia. It's also that you're dealing with two actors here who are absolute masters of the strategic constant lie. I mean, these are, you know, this is, you know, when you're dealing with the Russian government and this, you know, crazy warlord, I mean, this is not, these are not, you know, reliable narrators in any conceivable sense. Um, look, I, I think that the, the, the biggest... Um, problem is figuring out who's where, 
right? I think that was one of the biggest, big, biggest thing. People say, oh, these guys are on the move. They're near Rostov. We've seen some videos that show them moving through the city. Are they, are they not? Like it took time to figure out where people actually were. Uh, and the story, you know, these guys were, were moving, were moving pretty, moving pretty quickly. Um, I think also, and we still don't know where a lot of these people are, right? Like you, your earlier question, like we don't know where Prigozhin is right now, right? We don't know for sure where a lot of those Wagner guys are. Um, there was a time when we didn't know where Putin was. There was a rumor, had he flown off to St. Petersburg? Was he in the Kremlin? So just figuring out who was where was, was really confusing. Um, and I think also on the analytical front, I think people, as you say, were jumping to conclusions about what it meant or what was happening based on statements or uh, developments that were not necessarily um not that they weren't true because they were they were happening but that they weren't really the final say at all right like for example um putin's press uh, secretary dmitry peskov came out on saturday and said okay we've reached a deal uh the deal is the following thing that uh you know um uh, prigozhin won't be charged we're going to drop the treason charges against him he was charged with treason by the way while this was all going on so we're going to drop the treason charges and we're going to offer a deal where he can go to Belarus and the Wagner guys can sign up with the defense ministry or they can go home. And that's that's the deal. And everyone said, oh, OK, it looks like this thing is over. Wow, that's crazy. Look at this deal they reached. And like it's three days later and there's still no sense of whether that's actually the deal or not. Like Prigozhin hasn't said anything to that effect at all. All he said about the deal is we reached a deal under which Wagner Group can continue to operate in a legal framework whatever that means, right? Uh, then the Russian government media sources are saying, um, Russian uh, state media today were emphasizing that no, actually, uh, he still is being investigated and prosecuted for treason. And and so so like a lot of stuff is just so up in the air that it's, it's hard to, um, I think it's foolish to try to reach definitive conclusions. I think the best thing you can do is try and set a context, right? This is the kind of world in which we're operating. This is what this sort of thing might mean for a guy like Putin. But, you know, we're still in I think we're still in the early part of this of this saga. There's nobody better to break down everything that's happening on that side of the world than our buddy Alex Clement over at G Zero Media. You can check out all his work at GZeroMedia.com. Sign up for the newsletter that he does, the puppet regime show that he does. Go follow him on social media, Twitter, Instagram. I, there's probably a bunch more accounts. Go listen to him uh, do Russian accents. He probably does them for uh, Babel and some of these other places. Alex, you're the best, buddy. You know, you always have a home here. Uh, can we please talk to kind of break down all these topics and issues? Continue success, my friend. Stay safe. I appreciate it. Thank you. Good to be with you guys. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Quick break from our pod to tell you about a new pod at Fresh Roasted Coffee, Envy Pods. So if you go to freshroastedcoffee.com, my partner's shaking his head. That's a good transition. What are you, are you kidding it, me? It was good. No, I shook my head. I was like, that's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Because you. You, I, I saw this picture earlier. I was like, I saw, I saw what you're doing. That's right. It is a fantastic transition, Nick, if I do say so myself. Listen, the new Envy Pods over at our partners at Fresh Roasted Coffee. These pods are environmentally safe. They are compostable. And let me tell you something. When you open these individually wrapped pods, Nick, they smell absolutely delicious. You can check out these new pods from our sponsors over at FreshRoastedCoffee.com and enter in the promo code, new promo code, can we please get 20, all one word, and the number 20, can we please get 20, for 20% off your purchase. Head to freshroastedcoffee.com today. All right, our thank yous there to Alex Clement, G Zero Media. Like I said, go check out all his work at gzeromedia.com. Follow him on social media too, as well. Uh, Twitter. I don't think he's on TikTok, Instagram, but I got to be honest. I mean, I could listen to Alex break. We were talking about this off air. Um, there's nobody better, in my opinion, that can break down issues that are playing out over there. Now, one thing I want to mention about Alex, you may not know this for those of you listening, speaks four languages, Spanish, Portuguese, Russian, uh, and English, obviously. Um, he's phenomenal and has, ha has a history of breaking down politics across different outlets. He's been on MSNBC. Uh, he's joined Ian Bremmer, famously of the New York Times, over at G0 to do this exact kind of work, which is break down geopolitics and how this affects really us here in the US. And it's it's phenomenal. Like listening to some of the Wagner uh, and Yevgeny Prigozhin's, um, and I love my accent, by the way, uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin's, um, you know, kind of rise and ascent here from basically nothing. Uh, Alice was telling us, I mean, he started a hot dog stand. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, He's leading one of the biggest private military uh, groups out there, and he's got 25,000 soldiers in his command. That is an arc unlike any I have seen of any villain, <laughs> superhero, anybody. You'd be hard-pressed for Marvel to write something like that. Nick, um, quick takeaways before we get into uh, what we're going to talk about here on the Can We Please comment segment where we get to read. Speaking of uh, ascending and and uh, people with crazy stories, uh, you're going to see hear some comments in a second. But just uh, put a bow on it here. What would you make of not only the way Alex broke down some of these things, but like where does this all net out? Yeah, I mean, Bergosian's story is. I mean, it's up there, man. It's like in terms of villain origin stories, it's not quite Austrian failed art student turned you know political you know speaker then turned chancellor of you know Germany, but it's. It's on the Mount Rushmore. That's all I'm saying. Um, I said to, we talked about this obviously with Alex when you know we stopped the recording, folks. This was a labor of love. This interview, um, 
you will not find anywhere else where this story is going to be told to you almost as like a twisted fight. You either would get this as a really messed up bedtime story or a cool story. You're at the bar hearing from someone knowledgeable and you're like, that's crazy. I must have had too much to drink. This makes zero sense. Alex is just a gifted storyteller, and he and he is in his lane when we talk about what's going on with Russia from his first appearance on this show to most recently, obviously here. Um, an incredible storyteller. I mean, just just so many nuggets that we pulled out of it, everything from Prigozhin's uh, origin to, you know, the the advent of PMCs. I, I joked about, obviously, you know, Metal Gear and all that stuff, you know, in the interview, but this is a real thing. Obviously, living in the United States. That's something that's foreign to us. Yes, there's Blackwater and stuff like that, but we have a, I mean, our, our military is sound and it is the primal, primary, you know, form of defense in this country. To try to get out of our heads for a minute nationally and to step into a, a world like Russia where this is, this kind of thing is just privatized and people can be able to give the reins. You know, Alex uses a really powerful statement when he talks about basically like a dictatorship, you know, type of police force. Like they just are to the whims of a leader and it's exported like this is the kind of stuff you can send to other countries as alex was pointing out to that that i mean there's so much there folks that you need to just take in and honestly you know for mike and i as we consume all the stories in the media this weekend nowhere nowhere was someone breaking it down the way alex did and i'm not trying to overhype this but what I find incredible storytelling, someone who's knowledgeable, but can break it down in a way that if you are in like ninth grade, it makes crystal clear sense. If you are a college professor, it makes crystal clear sense. Or if you happen to be a host of a podcast, it makes crystal clear sense. That's a person you want to trust. And, and Alex absolutely gets all high marks for that. Yep. Well said. Totally agree on that front. All right, Nick, let's get into our can we please comment segment, which will now feature Comments that you and I have gotten on social media around our content. As you know, our producer, Tim Meehan, cuts clips of the show, different segments that we do, uh, not only from you and I's perspective on certain things that are playing out, RFK Jr.'s recent interview on Joe Rogan, uh, Lexi Rigdon, criminal defense attorney who came on to talk about Donald Trump. We had Lisa Desjardins over at PBS NewsHour talking about, uh, you know, Diane Feinstein, and her returning to the Senate and everyone's comments around that. So I'm going to read you. We're going to do four top comments here and there's threads to it. And we're going to get a little bit of some eye rolls from you and I. But we're going to get some reaction. And Tim, for the people watching on YouTube, Tim's going to put these comments up uh, so everyone can kind of see them. And like I said, go follow us over on TikTok and on IG at Can We Please Talk Podcast on Twitter at Can We Please Talk and on LinkedIn, obviously, you can follow us at Leon Media Network and obviously go to leonmedianetwork.com to see all the shows under the umbrella. All right, Nick, let's get into the first one here. So this one says, and this is under our criminal defense attorney, Lexi Rigdon uh, clip, where she's talking about Donald Trump's possible defense strategy, right, uh, which is to delay, 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 which we're kind of seeing a little bit play out right now. And the first comment under it says, Donald Trump didn't make pregnant nurses get vaccinated while lying to them about the dangers to their unborn child because Biden and his cronies all had stock in Big Farm. And Big Farm is spelled F-A-R-M, not P-H-A-R-M. So strike one there for Greg Lowry 338. <laughs> um, and then mis mistake, mistake Hunter underneath him says, and yet it was under Trump that vaccines were produced within six months. 
Trump couldn't stop bragging how fast he made it possible. And he is in air quotes. And then Wendell Bogg comes in right under. He goes, right. He wanted them to drink bleach and stick a light tube up there behind. Nick, the entire sequence of Donald Trump not making pregnant nurses get vaccinated while lying to them. Biden's in bed with big pharma. Trump made the vaccines in under six months and bragged about it. That is true. And then he wanted to drink bleach and stick a light tube up there behind your thoughts. All of this on a on a criminal defense attorney's clip that she came on our show. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you had you had me at farm. Really? <laughs> F-A-R-M. You had me there. Um, as always, I am just thrilled by the engagement. And I say this to anyone that listens to the show, people who talk to us about the show. Um, all comments are good comments, as, as crazy as that sounds, because it shows you care. It shows you want to be part of, of the dialogue. That being said, um, yeah, the what about ism is funny. Like, I, what in the world do vaccines have to do with that person's appearance like it just like there's this weird thing about if you bring up something about the president or, or former president trump immediately people must go look at president biden and other than like their ages i struggle with what similarities these two men having common like legitimately like when you look at their respective you know ways of growing up and their you know contribution to society and all stuff what really is that much of an overlap between these two guys? But yeah, that we get that we get hit with that a lot. If we talk about one person, you know, people immediately come back with, "Well, what about Biden?" And I, I don't know what you do with that. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I don't know what you do with that. I don't know. I don't know if that's a real person or not. That's the one thing I don't do, and we don't do as a social media team. We dive into the muck, but we don't see if the person's verified or not. And maybe we should start looking into. If uh, Greg Lowry, 338 and Mastook Hunter are real people, maybe we'll start doing that. Social media team, we'll start doing that. All right, let's get into the second one. Okay, now this is under PBS NewsHour correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Again, one of the most respected correspondents out there, Nick, in the industry. Okay, you can catch her uh, filling in for Amna Nawaz and Jeff Bennett. Over our PBS NewsHour, she hosts Washington Week over on the weekend. Um, she's fantastic. She's become a friend of the program. She's on the program to break down all the congressional issues, the debt ceiling battle. And this clip, which was one of our highest views clip on Instagram, had thousands of views, over 250 comments, thousands of likes. And this is a thread of comments about Dianne Feinstein. And this is from Perales250. And he said about Lisa, about um, Diane Feinstein, Senator Feinstein, even the devil doesn't want her yet in hell. Somebody goes, oh, my God, that's a good one. I'll be honest. That's not terrible. Uh, McGrath Warren underneath says she doesn't even remember being gone for three months. And then Nick, the best blue donkey, says right underneath all of that. Retire already, old hag. You can't walk, see or hear. And then there's some gibberish and barely speak, but barely is B-A-R-L-E-Y, like barley. Your thoughts on comment number two from Perales, the devil doesn't want her in hell. Patrick Pregliato, oh my God, that's a good one. And then Blue Donkey telling her to retire already. Nick, this is, this is getting more and more ridiculous. The segment may not make it for a second installment, but what do you think of, of that? I, you know, it's funny, folks. This is This is the beauty of like, production meetings, which is what Mike and I have all the time. We're obviously friends for years, but basically when we talk about the show, we're planning, you know, and 
you know, cause this is not easy. We don't just turn the mics on and just go, right? Like Mike's a professional, you know, he doesn't, we don't do it that way. But what we were talking about this, I swore that we had discussed, discussed whether or not you're going to read the usernames and I'm laughing hysterically that you are. Um, I feel like I have the rate of those comments. Like which ones do I, th- <laughs> which one am I giving the gold star to? And I got to go blue donkey. Cause the username is just hysterical. But even the devil doesn't that watch you here is, I mean, that's good. That's terrible. It's terrible. Um, yeah. so, so it's so bad. It's so good. Again, what were you going to say? But I was going to say, you know, the, the, the thing that was interesting about that clip, though, is like a lot of the comments we had. It was one of the times I feel like we almost unified the country because we're at, regardless of where people were on the political spectrum, almost everyone came back with the same idea of like, this is crazy. Like, she probably should hang it up. And obviously, Lisa brought up on the show that people will say that. But let's also be fair, because there's plenty of men you know, in Congress that we could have made the same comment to. And, and that seems to be quiet. And she was right for saying that on the show. But, yeah, those comments it was one of the times that like America kind of came together. So look at us. Can we please talk like bringing, you know, bringing both sides of the political spectrum together in agreement of Diane Feinstein should probably retire. Listen. That's what we're trying to do here. There is a proverbial middle, folks. We're going to bring you in. Blue Donkey and uh, Progosian, all these all these names are wild. This segment is phenomenal. All right. Uh, let's get to the last one because I, I, I said we were going to do four. We're going to do three here. Okay. So now, you know, we did recently about RFK Jr., his Joe Rogan podcast. And again, I mentioned this in the episode. I will say it again. Go listen to the interview for yourself at the Joe Rogan podcast. He's not paying us for that. He should be. But go check out the full interview. It's three hours and four minutes long. If you've got that much time, go listen to it in its entirety. We uh, had a clip cut from it because, and I didn't even know this, by the way, unbeknownst to me at the time, because I had listened to about an hour, maybe an hour and a half of the interview. And I didn't realize that he had mentioned Dr. Paul Offit in the interview and a debate that he was trying to have with him before I even mentioned Peter Hotez, because that was the one that kind of came out of the interview and everyone wanted Hotez to debate him and, and this and that, a, an environmental lawyer debating a scientist who's invented a vaccine. I mean, that sounds like a fair fight, especially when it's about medical issues. I compare it to like Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. Neither The fight should not be a boxing match and it should not be an MMA match. It should be something that neither is good at, right? And then we can see them play it out because as McGregor kind of showcased, yeah, he hung in there, but he lost to a boxer because they were boxing. And if they had fought in mixed martial arts, McGregor should should have won because he's well-versed in that. So in that vein, let's read a comment from a clip that got posted on our social media handle. It was basically around him talking about placebo control trials. And I mentioned that, you know, who shouldn't be talking about it? An environmental lawyer who happened to go to Harvard. Like, I don't know anything about placebo controlled trials. I can't imagine he does, right? Because he's a lawyer. He's not a doctor. Uh, and then we played a clip from Dr. Offit in the, in the actual clip itself. The first comment, the first comment on the video, this is on our TikTok page. All this does is show me I need to be listening to RFK. And I said, and I said, because I took over the handle for this time, no one is stopping you, Clint. Make sure when you break your leg next time, we better not see you at the hospital, but at your lawyer's office. And he said, I think I'll continue to do whatever I want and not care what you or anyone else thinks of it. And I said, as you should, Clint, unless it's illegal, of course. Nick, an appropriate exchange with somebody who I'm not telling him to not listen to it. I'm, I'm actually advocating for you to go listen to it. 
as I've heard other shows, the All In podcast, the David Sachs and these guys, they've talked about, hey, this guy has tons of content. Go make your decision for yourself. And I'm in agreement with that. Uh, what do you make of the comments we got under that section about RFK Jr. and how he's kind of similar to whenever we do hashtag Trump or hashtag Biden? It's a whataboutism game. And now you've got a candidate that's in the Democratic Party that people will say, no, he's a Republican operative. He's in there to kind of fudge the numbers. What do you make of not only the comment, but RFK Jr.? Yeah, I, you know, to the comment that you got um, that you exchanged with. Yeah, I wish that person listened to the rest of our show, you know, because I, I was particularly proud of the fact that we, we really took apart, you know, RFK Jr.'s argument. Uh, but also, you know, I, I take special pride in the fact that there was just too many instances of inconsistencies <clears throat> that we that we noticed. You know, everything from what's on his campaign website to what he actually does in real life as it relates to politics to to a crazy stance he took, you know, in Sacramento a few years ago, comparing vaccines to the Holocaust. And these are all out there. These statements are are things he has said. And I think you have to take them in consideration when you're trying to evaluate the argument of someone. I think these things matter. I think that's part of your track record. You know, folks, I, you know, obviously I do this show with Mike. I obviously do Educate US. You know, if you dug around and found some wild things that I said, you know, that really paint me in a corner of being really uninformed, um, a wild conspiracy theorist, what have you, you should bring it up and you should say, Nick, how do I take you seriously when you say these things? Right. Um, and that's, I think, what we could be doing with RFK Jr. And the fact that a response that you got was, well, I should listen to this person more. I, you should. I mean, go soak it up wherever you want to. But you should also take pause and recognize that for a person who talks about taking money out of politics, but has people handing him money at his packs um, for a person who you know claims that they are medically informed, but then also associates vaccines to the Holocaust. You should take pause and recognize that maybe there's just not something on the level with this person. And that's all we're asking. We're all all we're saying is listen to what we've you know dutifully looked up and presented to you as a listener and make an informed opinion. And if, if everything you took from that is I need to listen to this guy more, then I would direct you to go read the article or read the editorial written by his family who says he's misinformed. Well said, Nick. And like I said. If you want to read more of the comments in our TikTok, in our Instagram, the DMs are even crazier, folks, but I'm not going to give you access to all that. But you can follow us on social media, IG, TikTok, at Can We Please Talk Podcast on Twitter, at Can We Please Talk. Our thank yous again to Alex Clement over at G Zero Media. You want to catch the video portion of our interview with Alex, head over to our YouTube channel, type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. We should pop right up. Hit the subscribe button for me while you're there. Audio podcast platforms, you know by now, Apple, Spotify, Google. Shout out to all the folks that listen to us over on Good Pods. Shout out to ACAST, our hosting platform. We can't do it without them. Can't do it without each and every one of you that listens to this program. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. We'll see everybody next time.